Uh, this morning's reading comes from John 4, 45 to 54. When he arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they had also been there. Once more, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on his way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Good morning, everyone. How are you all doing? It's that mid-holiday blues, isn't it? Like, you're just, you know, if, you're any, if your family does get to do school holidays, uh, it just kind of gets the middle week, and you're either just like, oh, I could go for another six weeks, or you could go, yes, I've had a week of holidays, and I've got another week to go, but uh, it always seems this middle week, it's always, uh, how are you going? Good. Uh, so how are you going? Great. Excellent. I'm glad to hear. Who likes magic tricks? Some people. Oh, well, I won't do one then. Does anyone want me to do a magic trick? All right, uh, I need a volunteer who would like to come help me. Eli, you can come up. Come on, man. Give Eli a big clap as he comes up. Now, I learned this trick off YouTube because, you know, that's the great place to learn stuff. Uh, and what I'm going to just... I've got the two cards here already. What I'm going to do, Eli, come stand this side because I've got a chair here. Probably going to run over it. I've got a black nine and a black six. Everyone see the black nine and the black six? Excellent. So what we're going to do, Eli, I'm going to stick one of them. You hold one. I'm going to put it just into there. Yeah, it's a, it's a black six, I think, or a black nine. There you go. We'll stick it in here as well. What I'm going to do, you saw that go into the deck, somewhere in the middle. I'm going to, using the power of officially Kerry-branded uh, playing cards, because, you know, when you buy your most expensive deck of cards ever with custom backs, it makes it really powerful. Sure. I'm going to find those just by doing this. Black nine, black six. Yes, you're supposed to be amazed by that. You weren't amazed, were you? It was pretty cool, though. Sure. sure. Thanks, Eli. Give everyone, everyone give Eli a clap. I love magic tricks. Uh, one of my favorite shows to watch on TV is those ones that uh, get people up on stage to do tricks. And it's just so amazing to watch them, to see oh, the illusion. What have they put into that to make that happen? Uh, just all the effort and the practice that's gone behind that. As you can tell, I did uh, zero practice on that one. Uh, but, you know, the showmanship that is better than mine and, and just the way people can engage you and pull you in. And uh, I remember a couple of years ago, I was on holiday in Melbourne walking uh, along those 
I don't know what you call it, the streets along the side of the Yarra, and uh, there were street performers up and down everywhere, and one of them we came across who was just really engaging and enigmatic, and, and he was uh, doing all sorts of juggling and performing and calling people in, and at one point he shoved a sword down his throat and pointed to my wife Shelby and said, you pull it out, and she's like, no, but she did anyway, and it disgusted her, and it was the most weirdest thing she did on that holiday, freaked herself out, but it was really amazing to watch this guy just capture the audience and see them uh, just in the palm of his hand as he performed, and later on we're walking further down and I saw this guy, a uh, little less showy, but he was, he was really engaging. He was just on the side with a little table, deck of cards, far more practice than I am. And uh, the only things I can remember this guy, uh, he did an amazing trick for the kids where he got him to pick a card, he lost it in the deck and then it disappeared from the deck, like he showed him the whole deck and then it appeared under his beret. It was, it was incredible to watch. Uh, I have ideas of how he did it, but just the way he did it and the showmanship and his smooth moves and no flashing, it was, it was really, really good. I can't remember anything about that guy other than he did a good trick, he was large, he had a great smile, drew people in, had a beret, that's all I remember of him. And uh, if he was gone for all night, I would have stayed there and watched. But he then, when he was done, he went and sat on the side, crowd left, and that was it. No one engaged with him after that. And uh, I wonder if those street performers ever feel like the only reason we look at them is because of their spectacle. And, and to be honest, it is. And I wonder if that's how Jesus felt when he walked into Galilee that day on, in John 4. He, it started when he'd... Uh, been in Cana a little bit before, and he'd done the miracle of turning the water into wine, his first miracle, and uh, then his reputation just started growing from there. This is the guy that can do amazing stuff. He can do miracles. Word started spreading as he went through Jerusalem, doing uh, signs and wonders there, healing people, people coming to know who Jesus is, but most people were only coming near him or, or actually hearing about him because of his amazing signs, wonders, and miracles. And, and you get the feeling Jesus was getting sick of that being the only reason people were following him. I mean, there were some people who were following him for who he was, but most people were just there for the spectacle. And I think he was getting a bit sick of it, because you see that in our passage that we read today, when the royal official comes to him and says, would you come and help my son? Because he comes in, you can see this royal official who's from Capernaum. Uh, he's got a son who's fallen ill. And he's like, what can I do for my son? The nearest medical people can't do anything for him. I've heard about this guy named Jesus who's doing miracles. I've heard he can heal people. I'm going to go find him and go see what he can do. And he takes the day-long trek uh, for his son to go from Capernaum up to Galilee. And he comes and finds Jesus and says, Jesus, come and heal my son. And Jesus, he doesn't respond the way that the guy expects, right? He doesn't ex respond in the way that the guy was hoping. He was hoping that Jesus would say, Sure, sure, where is he? I'm going to come help him. Let's go. Take the day trip back down to Capernaum. Let me come into your house. Boom, you're healed. Or however Jesus does it. And I like to pretend sometimes he goes, boom. And, and you know, that would be so much more fun. Um, but however Jesus would have done it would have been incredible. But Jesus didn't do it that way. He actually turns around and he rebukes him. Not only him, but the Galileans all around him and, and perhaps us as well. And he says, unless you people see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. And that, that's my inflection, the sarcasm there. But you can sort of hear it in, in the text, can't you? If people are only coming around near Jesus because of what he's been able to do as a miracle worker, if that's his reputation, surely Jesus is going to have enough of that. Because Jesus' response is a challenge not just to the people and us today. Uh, it, it's a challenge for us to go beyond what we're seeing, to go beyond our self-interest, to go beyond the idea that Jesus is a miracle worker and see who Jesus is for himself. See, his true identity, just that, that whole point of who Jesus was is the revelation of, Christ, of God in human form. But that official doesn't get disheartened, does he? Which is great. He, he could have gone, oh, well, that was a waste. I'm off. 
but thankfully he doesn't. He, he actually, he doesn't get despondent, which is good. He comes back and he says, sir, would you come before my child dies? In this picture, if you're a parent and your child is ill and this is your only hope, you can imagine the desperation that you would have. And it's at this moment that Jesus' tune seems to change, but still not quite what the guy was hoping for. Go, your son will live. Huh? No, no, Jesus, come to my house. Go, trust me, your son will live. And it's interesting that the official takes Jesus at his word and goes. I mean, he was so desperate to come find Jesus, to come to his house and and to heal his son. But suddenly, something's changed. He's willing to trust what's going on there and leave. And on his way home, he runs into his servants. It's a day-long trip. It takes a while, and his servants have come from his home to meet him. And and you you must realize that's going to be concerning when you see that, because they could have only come with with great news, either, either great news that his son was healed or the news that his son had died. In either case... It's going to be massive, and he's got to have some consternation in his heart. Um, But his servants, thankfully, have good news. Your son is healed. Your son is well. Maybe they came to say, oh, don't worry. You don't need to chase Jesus. It's all good now. Or maybe they came to say, we can't believe it. It's happened. I'm not sure. But, But when they compare notes and they work out the timing of when the son was healed, the man goes, that's the same time that Jesus told me to go home because my son will be fine. And he realizes that could only have been Jesus. And that's the moment that his faith was solidified in Jesus. The news that his son was healed right at the moment that Jesus spoke, that clinched it for him. It was more than just, I hope. It was now, I know. I know that this was God. And it's such a big moment for him that not only he comes to know and believe in Jesus, but his whole family. It's incredible. His whole family and his whole household comes to know Jesus. That's an impressive encounter. To go and, and, and have Jesus not do what you want, but to trust in what he says, and then suddenly you have reason to fully believe in him. It's a really interesting story. Really great story. And maybe we could come at this and look at, um, this is the story about Jesus having compassion on people, compassion for people who are suffering and, and meeting the needs of them. Or we could look at it from uh, the broader perspective of Jesus never being where he was expected to be. It's a recurring theme through the book of John. Uh, Jesus never seems to go where people want him to. Jesus never seems to turn up where people expect him to. Um, He doesn't go to the official's house like he was asked to. But he heals the son from afar, from a day's journey away. Kind of shows us that, that Jesus is not confined by any particular location to act. But those two concepts, as good as they are, we're not going to press into those today. Today I want to press into the faith of the royal official. Because it's, something's gone on here. He's come at the start in desperation and he's come away at the end as a full believer in Jesus. His faith, or, or perhaps more so the development and progression of his faith, is a really important part of this story for me. In verse 48, Jesus highlights the fact that, that faith is probably the critical thing going on here when he said, you guys are only going to believe if you see these signs and wonders. And he's accusing people of only being interested in him for his showmanship, for his amazing card tricks, for for being able to do spectacles and wonders and and stuff like that. And Jesus takes issue because uh, his miracles, his signs, his shows of power, they're not there to be crowd pleasers. (laughs) If that's all he was, he could have just got away with going, I'm a magician, rather than saying, I'm the son of God, why don't you kill me? The signs and wonders were actually there to be the revelation of God, to show people his power, not for entertainment purposes, but rather, this is who God is. This is the power he has. These are the things he cares about. Revelation so that people would come to understand who God is, so they would believe. 
But this crowd, these Galileans, they seem to not be interested in that at all. They, they're, they're more interested in the spectacular, in seeing what will Jesus do next. I mean, he turned water into wine. Let's invite him to our party. That'll be fantastic. It'll make it cheaper. If you keep reading through John, uh, something that I've been learning recently is if you read further, you actually find more fun things that relate back to the first story you read. And in John 6, you feed, find the feeding of the 5,000. And a very similar thing happens here. In the feeding of the 5,000, I won't go through the whole story, but in the end, Jesus takes like a couple of loaves and fish and, and ends up feeding 5,000 men and plus women and children. It's an incredible miracle. But many people started following Jesus around after that, not because they've gone, oh my goodness, God's amazing. They've gone, free bread, miraculous supply of bread. This guy can give us food. This is going to be great. But they didn't see the person behind the miracle. And, and you read a little bit after that miracle happened, Jesus complaining, going, this crowd is following us for the wrong reasons. They're not here to find out who provided the food. They're not here to find out why I did it. They're not here to find out what it means about God. They're just here for free, miraculous bread. And that's what Jesus is complaining about here too. And he says, unless you see these signs and wonders, you're never going to believe. That faith that is based only on the spectacular, the shows of power alone, it's, it's never going to last. It's never going to be a faith that, that has a solid foundation, that has substance. Because as soon as the, the entertainer, the miracle worker, the, the spectacle has passed, what is the solid thing you're going to build your foundation on? Signs of wonders, shows of God's power and glory, they're there to help us grow our faith, not to put a foundation for our faith, so, as, as I'm trying to say. I mean, it doesn't, if we're only going to use the signs and wonders to, to build our faith on, it doesn't capture the person of Jesus, the capture the heart of God. And if God's the person we're supposed to be chasing after and falling in love with and having a relationship with and, and relying on for our salvation, just basing on these signs is never going to do that because we're never getting to know the real God behind them. And that was the risk here for the royal official who was coming to ask Jesus to heal his son. I mean, Jesus could have gone to his house in Capernaum and, and healed the boy. And the official would have been elated that the miracle was performed, and, but his trust in Jesus may have just stopped right there. Jesus would have gone on his way uh, they might have remembered like in five years' time. Hey, remember that time you were really sick and almost dead and that, that miracle worker came by and healed you? Yeah, what was his name? I've forgotten. Ima imagine if that's all the legacy in that guy's life that Jesus was to him. Just a guy who came and healed his son and never learned his name. But instead, through what happened, what we see recorded here in John 4, is that Jesus challenged the official. He, he caused him to come face to face with the person who was behind the power he was seeking. And as a result, he developed a faith that probably lasted. Now, don't get me wrong, miraculous signs and wonders are not bad. They are amazing. They're incredible signs of God. They have their place. Uh, they're amazing demonstrations of God's power. And I've seen miracles happen in my life and people around me that, that prove to me that God is real and show me God's heart and what he cares for. And, and it's really been a part of building blocks in my faith, so to speak. But when they're the only thing, if they were the only thing I ever built my faith on, uh, if I hadn't seen a miracle for a while, I'd be starting to go, oh, what happened to God? Is he, is he kind of off in the distance now? Oh, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not sure what would happen if that was all my faith was based on. But when they're the only thing in focus, and when they're the only thing I'm after instead of the person of Jesus, the person of God, that's where I'm going to run into issues. Because Jesus wants us to believe not just in his power, but in him himself. The person of Jesus is the one that's most important. If we're chasing the miracle alone, uh, but once, once we have the miracle... Uh, are we even going to care about the person of Jesus afterwards? I think Jesus is challenging the guy here. Yeah, I have power. Yeah, I have the ability to do miracles. But why don't you actually trust in me first? And that's what happened here. The official sought a miracle. 
Jesus put himself between his request and the miracle happening, and he forced the official to consider who Jesus the person was. Jesus put a challenge in front of him and said, you need to trust me at, at my word. And, and you know what? Instead of bringing the power to his home, he said, trust me, I'm going to do it from here. And the guy would have had to suddenly take a leap of faith there. Pardon the pun. But his faith would have had to suddenly grow from this desperation to trusting Jesus because he's come here going, Jesus, come to my house. And Jesus says, no, look at me, see who I am. And thankfully, the royal official does. He goes, this guy seems to be the real deal. He's promised me my son will be well. I'm going to have to trust him. And he goes. Now, I keep saying this is a story about faith. I keep saying we need to put faith in things. But I, I often find it hard to define succinctly what is faith. I mean, is it trust in something? Is it confidence in something? Is it a hope that, that we can fully rely on? Um, these things are all part of faith, but it's something a little bit more that I, I can't quite describe. And so when I thought about faith, I thought of the analogy of a chair. And it's not perfect, but uh, hopefully it will help you see what's going on for me in my head, because my head does some weird things sometimes. You could come into my office with me and Georgia, and you can just see the craziness that pops out. But I've decided faith is like a chair, a chair-like faith. Now, when I sit on this chair, I have faith that it's going to hold me up, that the four legs and the seat will distribute my weight nicely and hold me up and not crash me to the floor. I've sat in some chairs that I'll never put faith in again. I'm looking at you cheap plastic garden chairs. Those things crack under the pressure. But this chair, I've sat in these chairs for a good 11 years now, and they've never failed me yet. I have not seen one break under my weight. I've seen them break under kids' weights who decide to do things you shouldn't do on chairs. But when you use them properly, that chair is solid. I put my faith in that chair every time I sit on it. And I've grown up with chairs, as everyone has. You're all putting faith in your chairs right now. It's something that we're so subconsciously used to that we just naturally go, the chair will hold me up. I'm going to sit on it. So that's why the plastic ones broke. I just naturally went, yeah, I'll sit on that. But if they're old and brittle, you know, they break. Anyway, don't focus on the plastic chair that distracts from my analogy. This chair is solid and I can put my faith in it. It's not a perfect analogy, but hopefully you can get where I'm going. We can, and we can represent the official's faith in Jesus about his ability to heal his son through the idea of a chair. Because the first kind of faith we see in this guy is one of desperation or just the hope in the miracle. Uh, it was, he saw something that he needed, he saw a means to an end, and he went, you know what, I, I've heard that this guy can do miracles, I have faith that he would be able to do it, I'm going to go chase after him. Uh, and before this moment though, this guy probably never heard of Jesus, he might have heard some reputation, but unless the need of his sick son was there, I doubt this guy would have ever chased after Jesus, you know. It would have been a guy that just passed through, but because he had a need, he came and found him. And I feel it's like if we only ever use a chair as a step, like I'm going to step on it, reach something that I need up here, and then I get off the chair, and then I, I put it over in the corner because I don't need it anymore. I just use the chair as a step, like only when I had my need, right? And if that's the only way that we're going to approach Jesus, it's going to be in those times of desperation and faith and, and crisis, and I get what I want and what I need out of Jesus, and then I go on my merry way. And uh, for this guy... Like I said, he'd heard of Jesus' power. It was born out of desperation, this faith, that, that Jesus had a power that could meet his need. And sometimes we can be like that, that official. We just have a, a desperate moment in our lives. Um, you know, normally we might, if we're in this position, we might not be normally praying or maintaining some kind of relationship with God until those crisis moments hit. Have you ever been that part of your life where you just go, oh, I haven't spoken to God for a while, but you know what? I really need his help right now. 
Jesus, I know we haven't talked for a while, but it's me, Ben, you remember me, glasses, big dude. If that's the only way we ever approach God, it's like using him as a step, like putting him on a shelf, like a, a tool in a toolbox that we can only pull out when we need it. Or it's like uh, if I only ever spoke to my dad whenever I wanted the keys to his car. It's not much of a relationship, is it? But at least, I mean, there is some connection there that I'm willing to talk to my dad and ask for the keys. There's some relationship there that I'm willing to go to God and say, God, in my desperation, would you help me? But there's no relationship with the person with the power. There's no relationship with the dad that holds the keys. There's no relationship with the toolbox that holds the tools. That's a weird way to talk about Jesus, isn't it? Uh, there's no relationship with Jesus in itself. It's not an ideal place for our faith to be or for it to stay. But like I said, at least we have something to build on. And that's what the official started with. And it was something that Jesus could build on. And I wonder if in our desperation times, you know how sometimes God says no? And sometimes we don't understand why? I wonder if he's, he might be using this as a moment like he did for the official to help us to come to understand and know Jesus more. Because when Jesus tells the official, no, I'm not coming to your house, you need to trust me. Jesus is making sure that he is putting himself front and center in this guy's life, putting himself, not, not standing in the way of the miracle, but instead of just asking for a miracle, he's saying, no, ask me, the person, get to know me and chase after me. Something that Jesus was trying to get this guy to see different. He made it personal for him. It was no longer, here's the dude who can do the miracle. It was, this is Jesus. This is the son of God. He's not just a tool in a toolbox. He's not just the guy with the means to the end. This is Jesus, the son of God. Let's trust what he says. Trust who he is. Jesus calling out for a deeper faith in the official, one that will trust in God and his promise. Now, when Jesus chose not to go with the man, that official had now a choice. He could either doubt Jesus' word and go away bitter at him and go, well, that was a fat load of help. Or he could go home and trust, okay, I'm going to trust he promised my son will be all right. Let's go and hope. Jesus challenged him to approach the chair differently rather than being a step that he could pull out of the cupboard every so often. It's being something he could lean on. And, and you know, maybe leaning on the chair a bit more um, it changes our expectations of how Jesus could work. I mean, right now I'm leaning on the chair. I'm putting some weight on it. But you see, my feet are still on the floor. I'm kind of hedging my bets here. Like, I mean, the chair might not quite come through for me. And I wonder if that was going through this guy's mind. Like, oh, is this actually going to work? Is this going to happen? So I reckon there would have been some doubts for him. All this guy Jesus has said to him is, go home, your son will be well. That's a huge amount of trust to put in for your son's life. But he demonstrates that he had some more faith at this point by going home empty-handed, as it were. He didn't bring the power guy with him. I reckon there'll be questions in his mind. But the official was willing to go home based on Jesus' word, hoping that his trust in Jesus was not going to be in vain. But it wasn't quite cemented. It's like, like I said, leaning on the chair. My feet still being there kind of shows that I'm not ready to fully trust that the chair's gonna hold me up. You know, if I stand with my feet on the ground, it still gives me some purchase, like if the chair moved away, well, I can easily still stand on my own. Which brings us to the crux point, where the servants meet him halfway home. And John says this was the moment that he actually believed, because when he discovered that his son was healed, at the exact moment Jesus said, go home, your son will be fine, that was the moment his faith was cemented, that he's moved from just being a desperation kind of faith, moved from just going, I'm going to trust what Jesus says, to this guy, Jesus, is the real deal. I'm going to trust him. This guy, I'm going to follow him. 
And it's such an, an instantaneous, miraculous healing that it could not have been anything else. It couldn't have been a coincidence. The servants say he got better at this moment. It couldn't have been anything but Jesus. It, it just cemented it in this guy's mind. Whatever was going on, the puzzle pieces fell into place. This guy in his mind suddenly realized Jesus is the real deal. He knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it couldn't have been anything but Jesus who healed his son. And now he's willing to put his full faith in Jesus. So much so that the whole household believed. It's a deeper level of faith that he had before from um, not being willing to do anything but just use the chair as a tool to just leaning to now fully reclining in the chair, feet off the ground. I'm in this for the whole hog. I'm in this with no holds barred. You know what? I'm going to rely on Jesus. And if he fails, it's stuffed. But you know what? Jesus won't fail, which is incredible. That's a promise we can rely on, that Jesus won't fail. My experience is I've never seen Jesus fail. I'm willing to sit on the chair of Jesus with my legs in the air. Sorry, Jesus, I'm calling you a chair, but I think you all get the idea. It's a pretty cool thing. I wonder what form your faith looks like today. What, what kind of way do you treat Jesus? Do you treat him as something that you can use whenever you need him? Uh, you know, Jesus just is on the back burner of your life. Don't talk to him that much unless I need something. I wonder if it's I, I trust Jesus, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm not willing to like, put all my eggs in that basket, so to speak. Or I wonder if it's fully reclining in the chair. If you're someone who only just uses the tool in the toolbox or just comes to Jesus when you need it, uh, I'm glad you have enough trust that Jesus will meet your needs. But let me implore you like, to go deeper. Try facing who Jesus the person is. Engage him not just in your need times, but in the everyday part of your lives. Push into relationship. Find something that's more meaningful than just the child who only speaks to the parents when they want the keys to the car. If my child ever does that to me, I'm going to be really sad because I enjoy having a relationship with him. Just encourage you to cultivate a relationship you're growing closer to God. Or maybe if you're in that space where you are familiar with God, familiar with Jesus, um, you know him a bit more, you, you, you trust him more than just the sporadic times, but maybe you're not quite ready to take your own hands off the steering wheel, so to speak. You're not quite ready to let Jesus take control. Like I'm making backup plans in case the Jesus plan doesn't come through. Or uh, I'm keeping my options open when it comes to faith. You know, I just got to make sure this is the right thing. I'm not quite ready to let Jesus be the one that dictates what's going on. Um, that's the place you're in. I encourage you to take the step of faith and, and see what Jesus has for you. If, if that's uh, something that's resonating for you, I think the challenge today is to consider what would it look like for you to take your feet off the ground, to fully rest in who Jesus is, to go all in, let him take the lead, trust him fully, knowing who he is and, and believing in what he is, the son of God. My experience tells me that when I do lift my feet up and, and trust Jesus, he, he doesn't collapse like a cheap plastic garden chair. He's solid. He's well built. I mean, God is faithful to us. He is trustworthy. He's solid. He's able. He has the capability to do more than we could ever hope for or imagine. He can meet so many of our needs and more. But more than that, he's a great friend. He's a great father. He's a great creator and redeemer and savior. I find that with the relationship I have with Jesus when I'm all in lifting my feet off the ground is so much deeper and personal and intimate than when I'm just leaning on him. And I go back and forth sometimes. Sometimes I stand up and go, oh, you know, I, I, got, I got this one, Jesus. It's all good. And then Jesus reminds me, no, 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 no. I've got a better plan. Come and sit on the chair. How much are we willing to trust him? Let him take control. 
problem with the official's request when he came to ask Jesus to heal his son wasn't in wanting Jesus to do a miracle. The problem was that he initially only saw Jesus as the means to him getting a miracle, a means to an end. He did not see and trust Jesus for who he was. And while his concern was there for his son to be healed, his focus was on Jesus just being an access to a power that he could see his problem solved. But Jesus wanted him to acknowledge and embrace the person behind the power. Jesus wanted him to see, yes, I could heal your son, but what's that going to get you beyond a son that's living? You could have access to the living God. And when that guy did trust Jesus, he not only saw the miracle of his son healed, but he saw something more meaningful. He discovered Jesus and he believed and decided to trust in him. Perhaps if things had gone the way he'd originally pictured them, Jesus coming to his house, healing him, leaving, maybe we wouldn't have heard so much about this man. Maybe he wouldn't have made it into the book of John. But his interaction with Jesus and the belief in God that came out of this situation let us see that he progressed from using the chair as a step to leaning on it, I think it's going to work, to fully going, I've got no option but to sit in this chair now. In challenging that guy and asking for his trust, Jesus cultivated a faith that was in something more than just power to meet a need. So for us, I encourage you, don't settle for just treating Jesus like a step. Don't settle for just leaning on it and hedging your bets. Rest fully in the person of Jesus. Lift up your feet and see what happens. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we uh, thank you so much for your word, the stories that are in it that teach us about you and, and, and how people have responded to you. God, this encounter of the royal official coming to know who you are shows us that our faith can progress from almost nothing to something that totally believes in you in the space of a day. God, I pray that you would help us to grow our faith like that. You would help us to grow if, if we're in a space of no faith or a space of desperation. You would teach us what it means to trust you. Show us who you are. Oh God, that you would push us into a place where we're willing to fully trust in you to take our feet off the ground. God, if we're flip-flopping, like I've said that I do sometimes, would you help us to learn how to sit in the chair more often than not, to follow you, to let you do what you need to do, to let us come along for the ride, because God, that ride is incredible. Jesus, thank you that you are with us, that your Holy Spirit is here beside us, in us, helping us, guiding us, giving us power to move through this life for you. God, help us to trust you and follow you. Help us to listen to what you are saying to us through your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.